Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, 20 Miles Short, and is brought to you by guest speaker, Tyler Tulos. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Tyler Tulos. Come on, why don't you clap your hands for Pastor Jason and the worship team. They do a good job. I know Pastor Phil will attest to this, that one of the best parts about being a pastor is being able to always say that I'm with the band. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm saying? That wasn't planned. I liked it, though. It worked. It worked. Come on, man. I'm so glad to be here with you guys today. Thank you so much for having us here as a guest in your church. And uh, you got to be careful, though, because the more that you invite me around, the more I'm just going to start showing up unannounced. Come on, man. I'm like that cousin that shows up at Thanksgiving and you didn't expect him to be there. And he ends up eating like two thirds of the turkey and most of the dressing. Come on. And all the cranberry sauce. That's me. I'm your boy. I'm that cousin. All right. So y'all can just start calling me cousin Tyler, whatever you want. Uh, but I'm so glad to be here with you today. Uh, like Jason said, my family is here uh, with me this morning. My wife, Crystal, uh, uh, who, who she and I pastor Story Heights Church together, uh, hands down. She is the, the better and best preacher in our family and in our church. So when Pastor Phil invites her to come and preach, you're going to want to be here for that because she will bless your socks off. Come on, Dad. Y'all getting some socks today? When you hear Crystal preach, you will leave sockless on that Sunday. <laughs> guaranteed. Guaranteed. I want to take a minute before we get into God's Word today. And I want to uh, just honor Pastor Phil and Sherry. Can we clap our hands for your pastors, church? They, they really are a blessing. And um, I'm sure a lot of you know that, but I just want you to know how much of a blessing they are, not just to Bethany Christian Church, but really to this area, uh, and how much they are a blessing to my wife, our family, and to our church, and uh, how much you guys have been a part of that story and that journey Uh, that started about 10 years ago. I I told a story in the first service, and I'm going to tell it again now because I'm the one with the microphone, and y'all can't say anything about that, all right? So um, I told the story when when Crystal and I were considering relocating and, and moving from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, here to the Boston area to plant Story Heights Church, uh, we came up on a scouting sort of trip, right? Like we wanted to kind of survey the land, see what was going on, see uh, where and where and when we might fit in here. Uh, but really, we came looking for a word from the Lord because uh, how many of you guys know that when you set out on something that's bigger than yourself, it always helps to go with a word from God. You on that this morning? All right, so four of you are, are, are with me on that. And so for the rest of you, I'll just tell you, when you set out on something that's bigger than yourself, it feels a lot better knowing that you've got a word from God before you set out on that journey. And so we came up here just looking for that, hungry for that, craving for that. And we met with a ton of pastors and other churches in and around the area. And to be quite honest with you, um, all you can say is kind of bless their heart, but they were super bummer. Like they were totally discouraging. Like they were like, you're probably, it's probably not going to work. Like Louisiana is a good place. You, you, you better off just staying there. I mean, I'm not lying. Like these were things that were said. Uh, One guy told us, they're like, you're probably not going to find a place to live. And if you do, it's probably going to be full of lead paint and your kids are going to get poisoned and they're going to be sick and they're probably not going to make it past six years old. And we're like, 
I'm so glad I know you, man. Like, thanks. This is just such, such a blessing to my life right now. And so that was like all in one day. And um, we had, had heard of and were introduced to Pastor Phil through a, a mutual friend in Louisiana. Uh, and we weren't able to get together, but uh, we scheduled a phone call. And so uh, this was at the, towards the end of that day, Pastor Phil called me and, um, and we talked and we kind of did the small talk thing. And I told him our story. I told him our vision. And, and I'll never forget what he said. Um, he, after I kind of shared our, shared our little bit with him, uh, he said, man, I just want you to know, we're so glad you're here. And I think you're going to do a great job. And like I, he didn't know it at the time. I've told him since then. But it was like literally the voice of God was speaking to me through that telephone that day. And that was, that was the word that, that kept us up and kept us going and has been a big part in what has carried us to where we are now 10 years later. And I believe it's a huge part of why I'm standing here today. And so when I say your pastors are a blessing to the body of Christ, you need to know they're a blessing to the body. And I, I, that clap is well-deserved. And so... When you can, like in a year or two, give them a hug, you know, like however long we're, it takes until we're allowed to hug each other again. Tell them you love them uh, and just be a blessing to them. So um, I'm excited to be here with you today, and uh, I'm excited to be here on Father's Day. Where's all, where's all the dads? We got any dads in the house this afternoon? Yeah. You know what? I'm not even going to give you a hard time for that response, dads. That was a very appropriate dad response. Like, I'm feeling you. It's like, okay, it's Father's Day. It's one of those things. Father's Day for me is the day that my kids give me a hug and tell me they love me before they ask me what time lunch is going to be ready. Right? It's like, happy Father's Day. Can you go cook us something outside? Oh, and here's some new tools in order for you to cook for us again outside. Yay, dads, right? Like, happy, happy Father's Day. Dads are great. I love being a dad. I love my dad. And if you're a dad, I think you're awesome. I think you are grand slam, like you're out of the park. Uh, I want to do a little, a little exercise, though, before we get going today. Not like, not like jogging, because we're not doing any of that today, right? Like a little experiment. Let's call it an experiment for the sake of, 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 uh, of, of calling it something. Um, and I will let you know, it went horribly in the first service, but we're going to give it a second shot here in the second service. And I have faith in you, dads, that this is, it's going to go better this service. Are you guys with me? All right, here we go. Now, is there a dad here today who is, is just maybe just found out he's a dad that, that they're expecting a baby and it's public knowledge enough that you would be okay standing up in a room full of people acknowledging that you are an expectant father. You're about to be dad. Anybody have a baby on the way? Any dads have a baby on the way? Anybody? 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 No? Okay. You can see how well this is going already. Any, are there any dads of newborns? Any newborn dads in the house? Raise your hand. Somebody's squirming back there in the back. Is it you? Is it him? It's not? No? Any? Oh. Oh, yeah. Okay. How old? Oh, yeah. Um, okay, two. I know him. I know his kid. I knew how old he was, and I forgot. That's why I had to ask him. Okay, so two. Any dads uh, of kids two to 12? Any dads? Okay, uh, in the back, all the way in the back. Will you just, just stand up? I'm, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit in just a second, but it's not going to be too bad. You're going to be okay. All right, any dads of teenagers in the house? Anybody got a teenager? Any teenage dads? Yeah? Okay, stand up right there, right there. All right. Any dads of kids in like their 20s? Anybody got? He's already standing up in the way back back there. The masked man. Oh, you too. You have any kids in, your thir in their 30s? 20s? You have kids in your 30s. All right, so your 30s, your 20s. Anybody got a kid in their 40s? Any dads have a kid in their 40s? We're going to get to you in just a second. Anybody, anybody got kids in their 50s? 
Holy Ghost. Oh man, there's two of you. All right, is that okay? How, how old is your oldest, oldest uh, child? Yes. Holy monkeys, Batman, 70. Okay, that may be too strong to beat, sir. How old is your oldest child? You think 66. At that point, who cares, right? Like 66. Okay. All right. So, okay, so you, so you can have a seat because, sev- I mean, I'm just saying like it's, 70 wins, right? Like 70, 70 wins. Okay. Now just stay standing. Stay standing. Okay. Now, Steve, you have a, a two-year-old, right? Um, things going okay. How, how sleep at your house? Are you, cha- you, got, you in the diaper zone? Okay. You're learning bicycles. You're teaching uh, uh, bathroom breaks, right? Like you're doing the whole thing. Relatively new dad, fresh to the game. Two years, two years worth of being a dad. Anything you wouldn't do for your son? Of course not, because you're a dad, right? Where's the, where's the two to 12-year-old dad? Was that in the back? How's it going at your house? Everything okay? Do you have any little invaders? I call them little invaders. They sneak in your room at night and they take over the territory of your bed. Anybody? You don't know talk about? Do you have any little invaders in your house? Uh, we're a little past it. Okay, that's close enough. That's close enough. Yeah. All right. All right. So, so you got you got kids two to twelve. In, did somebody get hurt? Did I do that? I probably did. It's my fault. We'll, I'll take the heat. Qu- quick question, my my man. Anything you wouldn't do for your two to twelve year olds? Of course not, because you're, you're their dad. All right, where's the 20s and 30s something, dad? You, right here? Yeah, you sit down, man. I didn't say sit down. You got to go with the flow. I'm holding the mic. 20s, you got kids? You, you kids still calling you, asking them, asking you where, to, where they put their taxes when they file them? Like, which, which file does it go in when I file my taxes? You got 20 year They still calling you for stuff? Yeah. What about you in the, with a the 30-year-old kid? Always on to Anything you wouldn't do for your 20 or 30-year-old kid? No, I mean... You're, some, you're like, you had, to, you had to think about it when they're in their 20s and their 30s. You're like, man, I, I could do some time for some of those things. Right? I, I got to be careful how I answer that question. But of, of course not, because you're a, you're a dad, right? All right? And sir, you, my friend, are the, the true hero. How old was your kid? 16. 16. So you have teenagers? Oh, holy ghost. Bless your heart. Teenage twins. That's amazing. Okay, but then, sir, you, you have a stepson in is 70 years old? Yeah. Uh, What's it like being the dad of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a child that old? Do you, let me ask you this. When did you get to quit being the dad? Did you, were you ever able to turn it off? Do you feel like today, like you're, you are a dad? Yeah? Okay. Wow. But did it, ever, did, did it ever stop for you being a dad? No. Why? Because, because you're a dad. Here's the thing about dads. Can we clap our hands for our dads? Actually, <laughs> sir, I, I, I got this for you because you deserve a trophy. Uh, but I don't have a trophy. I just have a hat of a men's ministry of a church that you don't go to. But that one's yours, okay? <laughs> you get to keep that. Can you all clap your hands for the dads that participated? Thank you, guys. And Miss Sherry, I'm sorry I broke your church. That's on me. I'll, I'll, I'll catch you up on that after church is over. But, but, but here's the thing. Here's the, here's the point of that experiment, whatever you want to call it. When it comes to being a dad, you're never done being a dad. Am I right, dads? 
Like dads see it through to the end. You never turn it off from two years worth of being a dad to 70 years worth of being a dad. You're never done being a dad. That is a badge that you bear with honor. That is a, 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 crown, that is a, a, a trophy that you carry. I mean, that's it's who you are. You are a dad, and dads are dads from the moment they're dads. Am I right? Like it doesn't change. Whenever it starts, it's one of those things that never stops. And when you say, I'll do anything for you, kid, dads mean it. Because dads will see it through to the end. That's what I want to talk to you guys about this morning. Not just the dads, not just moms, not just single people, married couples without kids. I want to talk to all of us today about seeing it through to the end. The title of the sermon that I have for you today is 20 Miles Short. And that's what I want to share with you today. And the main thought that I have as we talk about not just making promises, but keeping promises is that you've got to be careful not to let your mouth speak from a place that your heart isn't ready to go, okay? If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Uh, we'll start, it starts in Genesis 25, but we'll really carry it through um, uh, most of Genesis. Um, there's a, a story there about a man named Jacob. Maybe you're familiar with the Old Testament and you, you've heard of Jacob. Uh, Jacob is the son of Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac is the son of Abraham and Sarah. And from Father Abraham had many sons, right? Like this is how that story goes. And so we've got this guy, Jacob. Uh, Isaac and Rebekah had twin sons, Esau and Jacob. And, and um, Esau grew up... You, like, there's so much drama around their story, I don't have near enough time to tell you the whole thing. So you'll need to go back and read through, like, Genesis 25 all the way through to where we'll end today in Genesis 35. But, but uh, Isaac says, listen, I don't want Jacob, my son, to marry a, a, a woman outside of our people group, outside of our, our people. And so he sends Jacob on a journey to his uncle Laban's house so that he can find and marry a wife from there, so they can kind of keep it, keep it in the in, in the group, in the people group there. Okay. Now, uh, Jacob lived in a place called Beersheba. His uncle Laban lived about 400 miles away in a place called Padanaram. Why don't you look at somebody sitting near you and say Padanaram? I don't know if you said it right either. Okay, I'm not sure. That's the way that it looks to me in the Bible. So let's just go with it. Padanaram. It's also called Haran. Uh, today it would be like southern Syria or Jordan, like that part of the world. Okay. And so he says, Jacob, I want you to go to Padanaram, and I want you to find a wife in Padanaram. And so Jacob sets out on what will become a 400-mile journey. His first stop along the way is at a place called Luz. Everybody say Luz. Again, don't know if you're saying it right. That's the way that it looks to me in the Bible. And so he, he, he gets to Luz, he stops, and he's tired, and he takes a nap. Have you guys familiar with this part of the story? This is where Jacob has this amazing dream. He's so tired, he goes to sleep and he puts his head on a rock. He uses a rock for a pillow. And as he sleeps, he, he dreams of this, this stairway, this ladder going up to heaven. And there's angels going up and down on it, up and down. And in this dream, God makes an amazing promise to Jacob. He says, if you'll basically keep my ways and if you will, will keep, um, uh, keep up your end of the bargain, he says, I will bring you back to the land that you are lying upon. He says, I will bring you back to this place. I will bless you. I will make um, many, you have many descendants. The dust of the earth is what he says, will be the number of descendants that you have. 
he makes him a big, big promise in this dream. And Jacob wakes up and realizes that he's had a remarkable moment with God. You guys have ever had a moment like that with God? Where you're like, there was no denying it that I just encountered the presence of the living God. Anybody had a moment like that? This works better if you participate with me. I just... I don't know if you realize that or not, but it, I just, I do a lot better. You'll do a lot better. We'll have a much better time. Y'all had a remarkable moment with God before? Jacob has a remarkable moment with God, and he physically marks the place that he had this moment. He takes the rock, and he builds an altar out of it, and he anoints it with oil, and he calls it Bethel, all right? Bethel, that's an important word that we'll use today. In, in verses 13 to 15 of Genesis 28, God makes this promise to Jacob. But then in verse 18, Jacob makes a promise to God. And he, he takes this moment, this remarkable moment, and he marks it physically, but he also marks it spiritually with his own vow, with his own promise. And he basically says, God, if you will protect me, if you will keep me safe in my going and in my coming, if you will keep me fed and keep me clothed, Jacob says, I will return to this place, and here I will build the house of God. He did not know what else to do in response to this amazing moment that he had had with God, to this amazing dream and this amazing promise that God made him. Jacob didn't know what else to do except to mark his moment physically and mark this moment spiritually. Now here's the problem. Jacob got a little ahead of himself in this moment. Jacob was being a little reactive to this amazing moment, and he didn't really take a ton of time to process what it was that he was thinking, to process what it was that he was saying. And what Jacob ended up doing, as you'll see in just a moment, was that he allowed his mouth to speak from a place that his heart was not ready to go. Because if you, you fast forward through the story, Jacob continues on to Padan Aram. About 30 years later, I'll save you the soap opera story of it, he decides that it's time to come back home. He decides it's the time to come back to the place that he started. And he, he doesn't leave as a single man. He leaves and he's got four wives. Hashtag bless your heart. You know what I'm saying? Like, he got four wives. He's got 11 sons. He's got one daughter, a single daughter. Okay. He's got a father-in-law that's not a big fan of his. He encounters his estranged brother, his twin brother, uh, from, the, from the early parts of the story. They have a moment. And to top it all off, he goes like, like three or four rounds WWE style with God himself wrestling with God in the middle of the night. Like Jacob's got a story, man. Jacob's got some, got some drama. Jacob lived through some stuff. And I want you, what I want you guys to see... That whole story is to get to this one point. That one, this whole story is to get to this one thought in Genesis 33. And I want you guys to check this out. Verse 18. It says, After Jacob came from Padanaram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver, it says that he bought the land that he had pinched his, pitched his tent. And there he set up an altar and he called it El Elohe Israel. What's happening? Jacob has lived some life. Jacob has, Jacob's story has some miles on it, both physically and literally. Jacob has traveled a long way. 400 miles there. Thir about 30 years worth of life that was lived. And then four, about 400 miles back down, it says that Jacob sets up shop at a suburban city called Shechem. 
He sets up shop. He can see the city from where he lives. He doesn't rent. He buys. Because come on, somebody, it's a good time to be investing in real estate, apparently, right? Like, like good for you, Jacob. He's beginning to become familiar with the locals. He's making friends with the neighbors. And he even, check this out, he even has the right heart behind him. And he sets up an altar, a place where he can worship the living God. So what's the issue? It seems like Jacob is living a comfortable life. It seems like Jacob is making some good choices. It seems like Jacob has provided a great place for his family to grow and to live their lives. Well, the problem is, is not what Jacob was doing or how Jacob was settling. It's where. Because if you remember, where did God say I would bring you back to? The land that you're lying on. Where did Jacob make a promise that he would return to? He promised I would return to Bethel. And where has Jacob set up his camp? In Shechem. Uh, Lizzie, can you throw that second map up there, please? Uh, yeah, that's perfect. Great job. This is, this is it on a map. Did anybody else uh, grow up going to church and the maps in the back of the Bible got you through a lot of big church services? Anybody else besides me? Come on. Everybody say, God bless. Big church. Right? I love the Bible maps. This is a Bible map. I want you guys to see Bethel, the yellow circle on the bottom. This is where Jacob was when he had his remarkable moment with God. And this is where he promised God, God, I will come back to this place. The yellow circle above that is called Shechem. That is where Jacob actually returned to. Geographically speaking, if you marked it out on the map there, Shechem is about 20 miles short of the town of Bethel. Jacob literally stopped 20 miles short of the place that he promised God that he would return. He could have gone all the way. Why did he stop? What was the deal? What was, what was it about Shechem? What was it about Bethel? What was it about Jacob that kept him from going all the way and fulfilling the vow that he made to God all the way? Jacob got close. He was almost to Bethel. He was doing good things. He was providing a good life for his family. He even had an altar there in Shechem that he worshipped at. But Jacob was 20 miles short of where he promised to be. Why, what, why did he do it? What was the issue? I think the issue was that Jacob failed to realize these next three observations that I'm going to share with you before you go on to your Father's Day lunch today. The first thing that Jacob failed to realize that I think a lot of us also fail to realize is the subtlety of sin. Sin is subtle, church. Sin is subtle. Genesis 33 tells us that Jacob set up camp in Shechem and it was nice, but he was 20 miles short of where he said he was going to go and where God was expecting him to be. The place that God said, I'm going to bring you back to. Jacob failed to realize the subtlety of sin. Jacob failed to remember that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. That's, what, that's how sin works. That's what sin is. That's how sin does. If you're thinking, man, that's a really good rhyme, good job for you making that up. I didn't make that up. That's not original. That's not mine. That's somebody else's, okay? I, I used my eyes and plagiarized. Come on, Miss Sherry. You got to go for it sometimes, right? The subtlety of the sin of stopping short. He almost got there. He was real close. 
Shechem, I mean, uh, um, Bethel's 400 miles from Padan Aram. Jacob stopped about 20 miles short. If you do the math, he did about 95% of the promise. He went about 95% of the way. He fulfilled about 95% of the vow that he made. If I, can I tell you something, Bethany Church? When it comes to being a follower of Jesus, close enough is not close enough. Close enough is not good enough. When it comes to being a follower of Jesus, there's only one speed, and it's full speed. When it comes to being a follower of Jesus, there's only one way to, to be in, and that's all in. When it comes to being a follower of Jesus, there's only one way, and it's his way, and it's higher than your ways, and, it, and you can't take your own way. That's not how it works. You can't be a follower of Jesus and not follow Jesus. Can we simplify it that much? I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, why are you in front of him? Or why are you right beside him? And why are you not coattailing Jesus wherever it is that he wants to take you? Sin is subtle. Sin will, sin will convince you that as long as you get close, it's okay because you're a good person. Sin will convince you that as long as you're doing almost what God told you to do, that it's okay because you're doing right by your family and you're doing right by your neighbor. And you go to church a handful of times a month and you drop a little love in the offering bucket on the way out. Sin will try to convince you that close enough is good enough, but it's not. I think if you had to put like a number one lie that our, our, our culture buys in today, or at least followers of Jesus buy in today, it's the lie from the enemy that if you get close, you're going to be okay. I'm, I'm from the South, right? I think I said that earlier. Uh, in Southern people, we say a lot of weird things, right? Y'all have been listening to me now for like 15 or 20 minutes, and you're like, yeah, bro, you said a lot of weird things. Like, I'm with you on that. It's true. We say a lot of weird things. My dad said to me 100,000 times growing up, he said, son, almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. Anybody ever heard that before? You've heard that before. Maybe it's not a Southern thing. I don't know. But almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. And when you think about it, that's a very profound statement. We call that Southern wisdom. Come on, somebody, right? Like a, that's a profound statement. It count, yeah, almost counts in horseshoes. Almost counts in hand grenades. But you know where, where almost doesn't count? It doesn't count in basketball. I was shooting around with some kids in between the services. I did not get a point for hitting the rim every time that I missed. Almost doesn't count in, in soccer. Almost doesn't count in, in business. Almost doesn't count really anywhere. And it certainly doesn't count when it comes to the condition of your heart. Almost fully obeying God is fully disobeying God. I know we're just getting to know each other, so I apologize if I'm coming across a little heavy-handed this morning, but that's the truth, man. You can go 95% of the way in being obedient to what God told you to do, and you'd have been just as good staying home. There's no difference. Sin is subtle. And it'll try to convince you. It'll try, and, it'll try and say, listen, go ahead and speak from your mouth at a place that your heart isn't ready to go. Don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie of the subtlety of sin, of stopping short. Jacob learned firsthand the subtlety of sin. You know what else Jacob learned? It's a second observation that I have for you. He, uh, he, he learned the costliness of compromise. He learned that compromise is costly. It seems like these new neighbors in Shechem were nice enough. Turns out they were actually pretty wicked people. 
one day it says that Jacob's daughter, Dinah, I won't read it to you. I know we got some mixed age groups in the house today. But, but one day Jacob's daughter, his only daughter, Dinah, went to go and meet some of the other ladies of Shechem. And it says that the prince of Shechem, the son of Hamor, he noticed her and he defiled her. It was, that was it. It's the, the, the shortest little statement that it reads in the scriptures. He defiled her. And you'd think, oh man, Jacob was like, he'd have been, had been so mad, right? He'd have been so upset. He would, have, he would have acted appropriately right away. But you know what Jacob did? Nothing. He sat on his hands and he passively stood there in hopes to keep good connections with the new neighbors. That's not cool, man. Uh, Jacob's... Uh, uh, passiveness or his lack of doing anything caused Dinah's brothers, Jacob's sons, to respond on their father's, uh, their, their father's behalf. And instead of trying to handle things appropriately, guess what they did? They killed most of the men of Shechem. They looted the rest of the city. And the ones that they didn't kill, they sold into slavery as human traffickers. Oh, and guess what? It gets worse from there. Because now not only has Jacob's daughter been defiled, are his sons murderers, looters, and human traffickers, but now pagan gods have crept into Jacob's household, and all of Jacob's household is worshiping false gods right all the way around their little altar that they built up. The mask of holiness surrounded by pagan worship. Listen to me. Jacob, I assure you, never thought for a second that stopping 20 miles short of Bethel was going to cost him the way that it did. But make no mistake, friend, the little compromises that you and I make, please don't ever mistake it, that they come with a big price tag. And sadly, most of the time, the people who pay the highest price for our compromise are the generations that come after us. It's the ones that are the closest to us, the ones that we would say, I'd do anything for you except go all the way and fulfill my vow the way that you told me to, God. Don't let, your, don't let your mouth speak from a place that your heart isn't ready to go. You've got to understand the subtlety of sin. You've got to understand the costliness of compromise. And if you're here this morning and you're like, bro, I'm feeling the weight of what you're saying. Listen, I'm okay with it, but there's good news. Because, because Jacob's story does not end in Shechem. Because the God that Jacob served will, will not allow us to let our story end short of where he's called us to be. And yes, sin is subtle, and Jacob experienced that. And yes, compromise is costly, and Jacob experienced that. But the subtlety of sin and the costliness of compromise, all that they did for Jacob was remind him that God is gracious regardless. God is gracious. God is gracious. It's in Genesis 35, and I got I to gotta keep moving. I won't, I won't read it to you. But in Genesis 35, God, he, catch, he catches up with Jacob. Actually, let me say that more appropriately. Jacob stopped for a second and turned around and realized that God had never left him. He finally got out of his own way, and he got back in God's presence. And God says, Jacob, listen. It's time to go to Bethel, son. It's time to, to, to leave Shechem in the past and finish the journey. Go the last 20, Jake. It's time to go home. And it says that Jacob purifies his house. 
that Jacob tells his family, put some clean clothes on. We're about to head south. We're about to stir up some dust, and we're about to be heading in the right direction. And, and it says that Jacob gets up, and Jacob goes on to Bethel. And, and God's word tells us, Jacob acknowledges in all of this process that throughout his entire journey, God never left him. God never abandoned him. And it says that as Jacob comes into Bethel, that God doesn't let him enter the promise the same way that he left the problem. And it says that he changes his name from Jacob to Israel. Listen to me, friend. If you, let me show you where you can see the grace of God in that story. God knew the very worst there was to know about Jacob. He knew the subtlety of Jacob's sin. He knew the, the drama of his past. He knew the issues that he'd created for himself. God knew the very worst about Jacob and still provided his very best for Jacob. That's the grace of God. Jacob had a 30-year journey, 800 miles worth of travel, drama on drama on drama, family and kids and family and kids and issues and this and that and the other. Jacob had lived a life, but Jacob himself said throughout all of that, God never left me once. His presence never left me and his promise never changed. That is the grace of God. And God's refusal to allow Jacob, which I don't know if you know this, the name Jacob, it meant deceiver, trickster, not great guy, right? God did not allow deceiver Jacob to go on into the full promise. He changed his name. He said, they're not going to call you deceiver anymore. They're going to know you as my people. You're going to be my man, and I'm going to be your God. That is the grace of God. Sin is subtle, and we're all, we're all there from time to time. We'll allow things to creep up that we, we, we should have been on guard about, and we weren't, and we, we, we taste the subtlety of sin, and it stings. And what we do, the way that we taste the subtlety of sin is because we realize we're paying the cost of compromise. The people around us are hurting, and those around us are suffering. But let the subtlety of sin and the costliness of compromise, if, if they serve one purpose, let it serve the purpose of reminding us that no matter what, God is gracious, that God is with us, that God is for us, and God has great plans for us if we'll just get out of his way and let him lead us to the promise that he's made to us. Amen? Whatever you do, yeah, praise God. Thanks, thank you. Whatever you do, listen, don't, don't, don't. Don't let your mouth speak from a place that your heart isn't ready to go. Because here's the thing about God. He doesn't require that of us to be in full-time relationship with him. When we meet God, he's a, he's a gentleman. He'll let us slow play it if we need to. He'll let us take a couple of laps around the mountain like the Israelites did. He's okay with that. Don't over-promise and under-deliver. Let that faith build up inside of you. Experience the grace of God for yourself in a real and tangible way, so much so that you get to the point where you say, God, I know that you're for me. And wherever you, call, wherever you say for me to go, I'm going to go. Whatever you say for me to do, I'm going to do. Whatever you say for me to say, I'm going to say it. Because I know the subtlety of sin. I know the costliness of compromise. But I know that the grace of God is bigger than all of it. And that the grace of God is big enough for you and me.
You know, when we were praying um, before the first service this morning, uh, Elise, I don't know if you remember, your prayer request was that God would, 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 would spark a revival, that there'd be an awakening, there'd be a, a shift and a change. And, you know, I, I thought about that. And, and if you study the history of the church, right, the history of the American church, let's say, but probably the global church as well, that whenever there's been a great revival, whenever there's been a great uh, spiritual awakening, do you know what doesn't cause that in the, in the church, in the local church? A spiritual awakening is not birthed by people outside of the church getting right with God and coming to Christ. That's not what births a spiritual awakening. A revival is born, a, a spiritual awakening occurs when people inside the church wake up to the subtlety of sin, when they wake up to the costliness of compromise, and when they press on to the promise of their Bethel because they know that God is gracious and they know that God is good and they know that there's more in the plans of God than they could ever come up with in the plans of themselves. Listen to me, Bethany Church. Don't stop short. Don't stop short of the grace that God has for you. Don't stop short of the promise that God has for you. Push on to the Bethel that he has because the plans of God in those days, the plans of God in those seasons, the plans of God and the life that he intends for you to live in his promise, it doesn't come anywhere close to the comfortable life that we can build in our Shechem. Are you with me, church? Are you with me, church? Don't let me be the only one that's fired up this, this afternoon. Right? Like, let's, let's be the church. Let's be the people that push on, that push on, that push on. That when we start to get stagnant or comfortable, let's push past it. Let's push past it. God, grace us to push. Grace us to push. But we want to see your promise. We want to keep up our, our vows. We want to see this thing through to the end. And it's not done until you say it's done. Let's be those people. Let's be that church because that's the God that we serve. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Let me pray for you before we go. If you bow your heads and close your eyes and if you're here today and you say, listen, I, I, I felt and am feeling the weight of that, that subtlety of sin and that costliness of compromise. Maybe it's uh, as, a, as a dad or a mom or a parent. Maybe it's as a uh, a husband or wife in relationship. Maybe it's as a son or a daughter, an employee, that you've, you've stopped short of where God has promised you. You've stopped short in pressing on to what you've promised to God. And today you say that, that my response to the weight that I'm feeling is not to fix it on my own, but to lean into the grace that God has for me. To lean into the graciousness of God and trust that it is by His grace that I can see this through to the end. If you're here today and you say, today my response is to rely fully on the grace of God, the grace that I don't deserve, but that he gives so freely anyway. If that's you and you're here today, would you just raise your hand so I know when I pray, I'm not praying alone. Anybody at all. Thank you, ma'am. God bless you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Thank you, sis. All the way in the back. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Anybody else? Thank you, man. I see that. That's so great. That's so awesome. You know, we, we didn't do this in the first service, but I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. We picked on the dads at the beginning. We're, I'm going to pick on everybody a little bit now. I know we, we can't respond to the altar here because of the rules, and we're going to respect those rules. But I, I wonder if anybody today would say, you know what, today's the day that, that I, want to, I want to step out of the weight 
of the costliness of compromise and the subtlety of sin. And today I want to step into the grace of God. If, if that's you and you raised your hand, if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, everybody, if that was you and you raised your hand and you're ready to, you're ready, you mean it, you're ready to go for it. Would you just stand up right in your own seat? Like not on it, but just right in front of it and just make your seat your own altar. Just stand up and say, I'm, I'm ready to go for it. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you guys. That's huge. That is so bold, man. I respect that so much. Thank you, man. That's really awesome. That's really incredible. Oh man, I just, I can, I can, I can see God's grace doing some amazing things through your boldness. Your willingness to acknowledge publicly, I'm not there yet, but God's grace is going to take me all the way. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you guys will just take, just take one second. My man over here in, in, in the shirt standing up, you can just keep your head bowed, man. But I just want you to know, God's grace for you is, it's about to get even more unfair how gracious he's going to be to you. God's going to use you, bro, for things that you never even thought he'd use you for. God's got plans for you that make your plans look weak and lame in the name of Jesus. God's got grace for you to pull you, pull you onto the promise, to push you onto the promise that you might have felt like you stopped short of maybe a few months ago. But God's not done yet. He's got more. And his grace is enough. You hear me, buddy? His grace is enough. His grace is enough. And you've got a pastor here. He'll help you get there. You've got a church family here that'll help you get there. I'm sorry if I embarrass you, man, but I felt like God really wanted you to hear that. His grace is enough for you. His grace is enough for you. His grace is enough for all of you. Why don't we all bow our heads and close our eyes? And why don't, why don't we pray this together? Say, Jesus, say, I love you. Say, thank you, Lord, for your grace. I don't deserve it but you have enough of it for me. And so, so say this, say, I'll take all of it that I can get. Say, forgive my sin. Thank you that you cover my compromise and that you're gonna push me on to the promise that you have for me. Say, fill me with your spirit. Change me from the inside out and never let me be a same, the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much, Pastor Tyler. That was incredible. And um, I've grown up in church, and I've seen from a little, little kid, I've seen in families where the parents don't go all the way to Bethel that their kids really pay for it. I know that that's true. And maybe it's not biological kids. Maybe it's spiritual kids that God has called you to lead. And when you don't go all the way, you don't know the prices that they're paying. You don't know the destiny that could be missed out on. But thank you, God, that you're gracious and you fill in those gaps for us. Um, God is good. That was awesome. Let's give him a hand.